Hello, everybody. Today is a very special holiday episode <laughs> of Horrendous, a Best Friends <laughs> podcast. As always, this is your girl, Meemaw, joined, joined by, as always, my best person in the whole world, Granny. Hi. How's it going? It's uh, you know, going. Like, got a few creaks in my bones, but... You know. um, so for people who don't know, which is everybody, um, we were referred to as older white ladies on TikTok <laughs> on a video I had posted on my personal TikTok, in addition to being called Karens. And so Callie and I've decided going further, we will forever be known as Mima and Granny. Obviously, yeah. I'm Mima. Right. <laughs> but also, we are recording this on Easter Sunday, but we also realize not everybody is Christian. So, happy Passover. I think it's still Ramadan. So, whatever you celebrate, I hope Spring you're having solstice. A, yes, it's the solstice. Whatever you're celebrating, we hope that you're having a damn good weekend and a damn good Sunday. Yes. And then also a damn good Wednesday when this gets released. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So yes, to our past to to our future selves from our future selves. We hope that you had a wonderful weekend in whatever holiday you choose to celebrate. We hope that was amazing. Yes. Or you know, I don't know. I was going to say if you don't celebrate holidays, but I think we already covered that. So. I don't know, Matt uh Matt decided cuz he we were talking about how much I spent at Target, and he <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, to be fair, I said most of that was from the Easter Bunny for the kids' Easter baskets. And he goes, well, that's stupid. We don't need to celebrate holidays. And I said, oh, so we're going to just become Jehovah's Witnesses now? He goes, <laughs> sounds great. He goes, sounds like saving money to me. So next year, I mean, going forward, we may be Jehovah's Witnesses. Um in name only, not in practice. Okay. I was going to say, uh, don't knock on my door. I love no, you. But uh, if you want to knock on my door and talk about we, Jehovah, no. So funny story. When we first moved in this house, we got a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on our door. And my husband, he's not somebody who... He's really bad at dealing with, and I say bad in that he can't tell people no. Okay. Strangers anyway, like some strangers, like salespeople. In in the the case of the story I'm about to tell, Jehovah's Witnesses. And so it happened that I don't know where I was, but. I was not at home and some Jehovah's Witnesses, a Jehovah's Witness came to the door and he was talking to Matt and Matt, he was like, he was such a nice guy. I didn't want to be rude to him. But this is also past Matt. I think current Matt like may have just been like, your religion is fucking stupid. Get away from me. <laughs> but this was past Matt. So he was a little bit nicer. And he's just like, he was such a nice guy. Like, I didn't want to be mean to him. So I, you know, I told him like you know, that we would have to discuss like going to this church together and that it'd be better like <laughs> if you were home. And I'm like, great, put this on me. So the guy and Brady was a baby and he happened to show up like when I was like f- feeding Brady or something. And 
Matt like comes into Brady's room. He's like, Oh, the guy is back. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm like, I'm not in a position to talk to this guy right now. And he's like, okay, what do I tell him? I'm like, tell him we don't like, just tell him we're not interested. So he doesn't, he tells the guy like, now's not a good time. So then fast forward a couple weeks later, I finally answered the door and it's not the guy, it's his wife and stepdaughter. And she's talking to me and she's like, you know, um, do you currently attend church? And I said, no. And she goes, oh, well, do you currently have a denomination? I'm like, no, I, I mean, I was baptized Lutheran. I'm not a practicing Lutheran. You know, but like we, we just are not churchgoers. And she's like, oh, well, you know, if you're a practicing Lutheran, let me, she like breaks out like the, the watchtower, right? And yeah. she starts like looking for a passage that would relate to, I guess, Lutheranism. I, I don't know. <laughs> and finally, I was like, okay, well, I really appreciate it, but like, I, I, I don't think we're interested in attending your church. And she just like looked like, so befuddled <laughs> and I was like but thank you for your time and then like it was a month like that they didn't come back and then they ended up coming back again and so finally like we had to put a no soliciting sticker on our mailbox to yeah. finally get them that and the rainbow vacuum cleaners and what was that what's the other vacuum cleaners the it's like a 1300 like not even I think it's more expensive than that oh Kirby, the Kirby vacuum people. Those people are okay. the fucking worst. And I will never forget. And the, again, this is why we had to put the no soliciting sticker on our mailbox. And also why my husband's not allowed to talk to salespeople by himself. <laughs> because like he had the guy come and like talk or whatever. And he almost had him sold on the vacuum until he told him it was $3,000. So yeah, then, no. Yeah, no. So then... This is why the wildest story. So it was like seven o'clock at night one night, and this woman knocks on our door, and she's like, "Oh, you know, I have a carpet cleaning business because at the time we still had carpet in like one or two rooms. Right. And she's like, I have a carpet cleaning business, and you know, I'm offering like a free, you know, demonstration. Um, can I come in? I'm like, okay, sure." And, like, she's talking to me and stuff. She's like, let me call my crew. And then what it was, it was a fucking Kirby vacuum cleaner sales thing. It was a scam. She did it as a way to get the salespeople into the house. And then they're like, uh, you know, they, they cleaned our carpet. So that was great. And I, once, like, they got in and I, I figured out what they were doing because she left. Like, so if this is your carpet <laughs> cleaning business, like... You're going to stay, right? No, she pieces out. And so I I literally let them. It's Connor's bedroom now, our old office. Like, okay. I let them clean that entire room, the whole car. I let them steam clean that carpet and all, the whole thing, right? And then afterwards, he's like, well, how do you think the carpet looks? I'm like, it looks great. Thank you. Because so, this was me 
scamming the scam, right? Because I'm (laughs) so sick of these people at this point. So I'm like, yeah, it looks great. Thank you so much. It's never looked better. And then so he breaks out the booklet and he's showing us like the breakdown of prices and financing (laughs) options and da 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 da. He's like, is this, you know, is this something you'd be interested in? I mean, look how great your carpet looks. I was like, no, absolutely not. I'm not spending $3,000 on a vacuum, but thank you for cleaning my carpet. And he looked so fucking pissed because I know he thought he had us sold on it. Because we're like, oh, yeah, the carpet looks great. No, I got a free carpet cleaning. You people can leave my house now. Thanks. Have a great day. (laughs) Yes, but it's just like uh, my husband, I don't know what it is that salespeople are just like attracted to him and like. But now he his his automatic response now is because this is what this is how we got signed up for a security system. We got locked into a contract for a security <laughs> system. Like his heart was in the right place because I was pregnant with Brady, and he's like right. his security system. He was going out of town for work a lot, so like his heart and mind, like they were in the right place. Okay, <laughs> but. I was, of course, I was not home. And he calls me and he's like, hey, you know, I signed us up for um, a security system. And I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, oh, and also, um, like, we're locked into a one year, or is it one or two year? It's like one or two year contract. I'm like, <laughs> what? Yeah. So I think it's great because anytime somebody comes to the door, it's usually about like, spraying for bugs or like window cleaning stuff for the house and I'm just yeah. like my response is always we rent yeah sorry not, yeah and th- see that's when like renting but it's like that's the perfect like out because you can be like I, I don't I'm not the decision maker because when I worked at SLU we would have like AT&T and Charter call all the fucking time oh like, can I talk to, or like, are you in a position to discuss like your company's internet and phone services? No, I am not. Well, do you know who was? That's at a university level. Sorry, can't help you. And I get that they're just trying to do a job. But right. it's like my husband like attracts salespeople. <laughs> like now it's not so, like you don't, we don't see the Kirby vacuum people anymore probably because they figured out like, fuck that house. But it lately it's been solar panels or okay. um, what was another spectrum comes by a lot. Um, we've had a few security systems come by. So, yeah, it's a lot of that. And now but he has trained himself to say, I've talked to my wife or you need you <laughs> or you need to discuss that with my wife. She'd be the one who makes the decision on that. So then he puts it on me. <laughs> right. I think even if we own a house someday, I'm still going to say we rent. No, that's because it's the perfect, like, right. Because then you don't look like the asshole. You're just like, I don't make that decision. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then um, now I keep thinking, like, if Jehovah Witness come by again and they knock on the door and I go, sorry, we rent. <laughs> you should have. <laughs> I will. So. you knew my 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 ex-stepdad yes um this there's not a lot of good stories about him because he was a giant (laughs) piece of shit but this is actually a real gem 
Like, and I don't mean that facetiously. Like, it is funny as hell. (laughs) So, even though we lived a mile outside of town, like, we lived on a gravel road, Mm -hmm. every now and then, we would get a salesperson or a Jehovah's Witness. And the poor Jehovah's Witnesses (laughs) that chose to come that day, they did not know what they were in for. (laughs) Uh, so they're talking to him about the watchtower and stuff. And they're like, do you mind if we sit and like read like some passages to you or with you? And, da, da, da. and he looks at them dead in the fucking face and says, I'm sorry, I can't read. <laughs> <laughs> and they immediately left. <laughs> he told them, he looked them dead in the fucking eye and said, I can't read. But also to be fair, <laughs> I he couldn't read. I know. I question his reading ability. Yeah. Um, but, like, for all the terrible, shitty fucking stories I have about that man, that is one of the few that actually is comedy gold. Uh, much like the time he thought he was going to befriend a, what do you call it? Like, a, a litter of skunk babies. Okay. And... Got sprayed with them to the point that he had to shave his beard off, cut his hair. Like, again, that goes back to, I don't know if reading was really his strong suit, so it may not, it may not have been a lie. Like. Right. (laughs) All right. Do you. Do you want to get to my story? I have seven pages to get through. Are you fucking kidding me? I did not realize it was that long. Otherwise, I would not have, like, dived into Kirby vacuums and uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Wow, I will get through it in the uh, 102 minutes that we have remaining. Because okay. apparently the service is timed. I will go as fast as I can. Which is not very fast. You're, like... Where I'm a very fast speaker. It's because you interrupt me. (laughs) First of all. (laughs) Secondly. I got the birds. Yeah, for the, for the, this is an audio (laughs) medium. I flipped Callie off. Secondly, (laughs) even when I'm not uh, interrupting you. I can talk a lot. Okay, well, you know what? Go ahead and start fucking talking. (laughs) You're going to have a lot to say about my introduction. So. so, you know what? But I'll only speak when spoken to. Okay. I will be, okay. I will have a servant's heart and I will listen to you as my, uh, what's it called? My headship. I'll let you be my headship. Okay. So, my sources were Wikipedia irishcentral.com, mentalflosshistory.com, nationalarchives.gov.uk. So as everyone may have figured out by now, I was a little obsessed with the Titanic when I was younger. That's an understatement. (laughs) The obsession started in second grade when we were split into groups and had to make the Titanic on a huge sheet of paper in Mrs. Coulterman's class. First of all, all right. You're asking for it now. Complain about how I interrupt you and you're going to start off with that goddamn story. So everybody wanted Kyle to be 
part of their group <laughs> because he was really good at drawing. And I he was. I hope he still is because he was fantastic. Yes, fellow left-hander. Fellow Callie and he share a left-handed special specialness the (laughs) superior race i guess and yes this is what peaked eight-year-old callie and eight-year-old elizabeth's interest nay obsession (laughs) with the world's alleged largest unsinkable ship yeah and uh being left-handed people kyle and i won our mutants Probably, but first and second place in the handwriting contest in second grade. (laughs) Kyle was first. I was second. So. Of course he was. Okay. Continue. Carry on. We had to draw. Yes. We had to literally draw these giant fucking ships on. On giant pieces of paper. Like they rolled out the paper and everybody got into their groups and we drew the Titanic. Yep. Some were better than others. <laughs> yes. And then they went out into the hallway and were hung up. Yes. That was uh, before Rainforest Week, I think. Yes. And then Melissa was in my... I was, Me and Melissa did uh, the Jaguar together. And then when it was time to take it uh, down, we argued over who got to take it home. And she ended up taking it home. Anyway, go ahead. Titanic Project. I'm, I'm sure I did a blue and gold macaw. <laughs> You had to have, and then called it Bubba. Go Probably. Ahead. Okay. Tell your story. So, in 1997, when the movie came out, I was stoked. Not to mention that the dreamboat, Leonardo DiCaprio, was in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry because. <laughs> I wish I had photographic evidence of this. It was the year you had your birthday party at the skating rink in mm-hmm. Montier, And you got a Leonardo DiCaprio poster. Mm-hmm. The joy in your face. Oh, it was beautiful. <laughs> so that year we went to the Sci- St. Louis Science Center for a field trip where I bought this giant, way too expensive book about the movie and James Cameron's adventure to the Titanic. Yeah, she did. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Elizabeth was standing next to me. Buy it. Buy it. Yeah, because I didn't have any money. I didn't have any money to buy stuff at the gift shop, so I had to live through everybody else. I'll talk about that in therapy on Thursday. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I used my food money for it. <laughs> at least you got f- that. I don't even think I got food money. I'd eat the sack lunch. <laughs> So this was like my most prized possession. And then also that sure year, my, <laughs> my mom bought me a book that told of the trial in great detail for Christmas. It also had a map of the ship, which I had memorized along with the passengers list. I also obsessively tried to contact passengers via Ouija board. That all tracks a lot. And <laughs> do you want a fun fact? Yeah. Okay, so the photos that we – and I told you this last time we tried to record this. Yeah. I found this out because I'm a big nerd and went to the Titanic Museum in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And beside, and also, Tennessee, get your shit together. Yes, um, please. Anywho, we don't have time for that. Um, 
So, yes. So, I learned this at the... And it's actually a very fascinating museum. And they also have one in Branson, Missouri. It's basically the same thing. But it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And you get assigned a passenger and like you go through the museum and at the end of it, you find out if the passenger like lived or died. Anyway, I found this out because apparently there was a priest on the ship and he was going on the vacation with like this wealthy family and he was taking all of these photos of the ship and he survived and I guess had the rolls of film with him on his person or whatever. And because of him, Keeping those, like, they were remained undeveloped for, like, 20 years after that. And because somebody found them in a trunk after this man passed away and developed them and realized, oh, shit. Those are the only, that's the only reason we have photos of what the Titanic looked like. Otherwise, we would have no photographic evidence of what the inside of the ship looked like. Like, we have the photos during the process of building. Mm-hmm. But as far as... Upon completion, we would not have those if it were not for this priest. And I forget his name. But anyway, fun fact. Go ahead. Carry on. Callie had the blueprints of the ship memorized. Um, So that's enough, like, embarrassing facts about me. Oh, no. Please give more to me. No, no. That's enough. No, no. I mean more. The obsessively trying to contact passengers on the Ouija board, that's a little obsessive. So we are coming up this week on the 111th anniversary of the tragic sinking. It's my 111th birthday (laughs) for all you Lord of the Rings fans. So today I will be telling you about Violet Jessup, the Titanic, and her sister ships. So, Violet Jessup was born on October 2nd, 1887 in Argentina to Irish parents. Her family moved back to England when she was young, and she was the eldest of nine children. Oh, that's a lot of kids. It is. Irish, Catholic, probably. Still a lot of kids. It is. They're right up there with the Kennedys. Yeah. Three of the nine died as young children, and Violet herself contracted tuberculosis at a young age. She wasn't expected to survive longer than a few months, but with her first bout of luck, she recovered and went on to live a long and healthy life. At 16, Violet's father died of complications from surgery. Her mother moved their family back to England where Violet attended a covenant school and cared for her youngest sister, Her mother took a job as a stewardess on a ship to provide for the family. When Violet's mother fell ill, she left school to follow in her mother's footsteps, getting a job as a stewardess. At only 21 years old, she had a hard time finding a job as employers feared her youth and good looks would cause problems with the crew and passengers. Because, of course. It was the early 1900s, of course. After wearing old clothes and no makeup to make herself look unappealing, she finally landed a job working for the White Star Line in 1908 as a stewardess on their luxurious ocean liners. In 1911, she was aboard the RMS Olympic. Built in 1910, RSM Olympic was the largest and 
most luxurious ship of her time with a length of 882 feet and a tonnage of 46,328. She was designed to be a sister ship to the famous RMS Titanic, which was built a year later. Olympic was the first of the three Olympic-class ships to be built, followed by the Titanic and HMHS Britannic. RMS Olympic had a long and illustrious career serving as a troops ship during World War I and later being converted to a luxury liner. She was known for her opulent interiors, including a grand staircase, a swimming pool, Turkish baths, and a lavish dining room. Despite her many successes, Olympic was not without her share of controversies. In 1911, she collided with a British ship called HMS Hawk, resulting in significant damage to both ships. The incident was blamed on Olympic's design, which featured a double hull and a protruding bow, making it difficult for her to maneuver. Violet was serving upon the ship at this time. Even though the ship sustained considerable damage, both ships made it back to port. There was no major injuries to any passengers or crew members either. RMS Olympic's most significant contribution during World War I was her role in the Gallipoli campaign, where she transported troops to and from the battlefield. After the war, she resumed her role as a luxury liner, transporting passengers across the Atlantic in style. In 1935, more than two decades after the start of service, she was retired and sold for scrap. Just a year later, after the incident on the Olympic, White Star Line was looking for crew to cater to VIPs sailing on the sister ship, the RMS Titanic. Oh, fuck. Okay, anyway. Celine Dion can sing her ass off, but goddamn that song. Yep. Let me tell you. I had the soundtrack to the Titanic movie. Everybody did. It's okay. <laughs> okay, not knowing the ship's fate, Violet took a job on the unsinkable ship. She was not. The Titanic was built by the White Star Line, which was owned by J.P. Morgan. The ship was designed by Thomas Andres and was built in Belfast, Ireland. Mr. Andrews! It's Mr. Andrews! I said... Uh, I didn't say Andres. I did. Yeah, because the only reason I remember that is because Rose finds him staring at the clock. Mr. Andrews, you need to get into a lifeboat or whatever she says. He's like, Rose, listen to me. The ship is going to sink. Do you remember what I said about the lifeboats? There's only enough for half. Yes, so you need to find your, you need to get to a lifeboat as soon as possible. (laughs) Oh, Victor Garber. The Titanic was the largest ship of its time, measuring 882 feet long and 175 feet high. It weighed 46,328 tons. That was a and big woman. It was. And had a maximum speed of 23 knots. No idea how fast that is. I don't either. Capacity-wise, the ship could accommodate 882. 33 first-class passengers, 614 second-class, and 1,006 in third-class, totaling 2,453. I know math. Uh, Woohoo! <laughs> the capacity 
for crew members exceeded 900. Titanic's interior design was decorated in the style of a manor house or an English country house. For first-class passengers, there was a seven-foot-deep saltwater swimming pool, a gymnasium, a squash court, and a Turkish bath which boasted of an electric bath, steam room, cool room, massage room, and a hot room. English people really love their Turkish baths. They do. First-class common rooms included a lounge, a large reception. (laughs) I'm Sean Connery. Reception. (laughs) Three fists for 800. Rebecca. (laughs) A large reception room, a men's smoking room, and a reading and writing room. During her maiden and only voyage, spoiler alert, She was under the command of Edward Smith. She was said to be unsinkable because the hull was divided into 16 compartments that were presumed to be watertight. It boasted that four of these compartments could be flooded. Do you want a fun fact? Sure. They weren't. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. This is a very terrible story. I should not be poking fun. People died. They did. A lot of them did. Yes, uh, it's it, very sad. It was supposed that four of these compartments could be flooded without causing a critical loss of buoyancy. Even though the ship was able to hold 48 lifeboats, the Titanic only carried 20, four of which were collapsible, which turned out to work better in theory. 20 lifeboats were capable of holding a 1,178 people, which was only about half the number of passengers on board and only a third of the number of passengers that the ship could have carried at full capacity. On April 10th, 1912, the Titanic set sail from Southampton, England for its maiden voyage to New York city. The ship was carrying more than 2,200 passengers and crew, including some of the wealthiest people in the world. Yes. Despite its unsinkable reputation, the Titanic was not without its safety concerns. Along with not enough lifeboats, the crew had As not previously been- stated by Rose DeWitt Bucator and Thomas Andrus. Mm-hmm. The crew had not been trained in emergency procedures. However, these concerns were dismissed by the ship's owners. Why is your kid so angry? Because he's screaming for mama and I'm not out there. God damn. He just wants his mama. So, sorry. Keely just wants his mama. Yeah, we're no, they're, they're, child abuse was not part of the making of this podcast. No, it's not. I'm sure Jake is doing everything he can to try and help him. However, these concerns were dismissed by the ship's owners and many of the passengers who believed that the Titanic was invincible. On the night of April 14, 1912, the Titanic was sailing through the North Atlantic, about 375 miles south of Newfoundland, when it struck an iceberg at 11.40 ship's time. P.M., that is. The impact caused a massive hole in the ship's hull, allowing water to flood the lower decks. The collision caused five of her 16 watertight compartments to open to the sea, which exceeded the maximum number of four. Despite their efforts to keep the ship afloat, it soon became clear that the Titanic was sinking. As panic and chaos ensued, 
The crew attempted to lower the lifeboats, but many of them were not filled to capacity. The lack of preparation and training combined with the shortage of lifeboats made it impossible for... And they said, fuck you, poor people. Yeah. Made it impossible for all the passengers and crew to escape. At 2.20 a.m., the Titanic broke apart with well over a 1,000 people still on board. Just under two hours after the Titanic sank, the RMS Carpathia arrived on scene and took on board an estimated 710 survivors, one of which was Violet Jessup. So she's survived two ship tragedies. Yes. When Violet heard the awful grinding crash of the collision, she dressed quickly and sped to the section of the ship to which she had been assigned. Orders soon came to head toward the lifeboats. She helped passengers adjust their lifebelts and reminded them to dress warmly, take blankets, and pack up their valuables. As she moved from room to room, she promised that these were merely precautionary measures. She herself did not fully comprehend that the ship was actually sinking. The sickening realization of the Titanic's fate came when Violet turned to say something to a fellow stewardess and saw that the forward part of the ship was inclining toward the ocean. She recalled, For a fraction of a second, my heart stood still, as is often the case when faith, hitherto unshaken faith, gets its first setback. I was ordered up on the deck. Calmly, passengers strolled about. I stood at the bulkhead with other stewardesses, watching the women cling to their husbands before being put into the boats with their children. Sometime after, a ship's officer ordered us into the boat first to show some women it was safe, she wrote in her memoir. Or if you're like Cal from Titanic, you just find a random kid and pretend it's yours and get in a lifeboat. I'm the only family she has. That awful Billy Zane. Who might be a really nice guy. He just is really good at playing an asshole. (laughs) Right. When Violet stepped into lifeboat 16 with other women and children, a deck officer handed her a baby. The boat was lowered toward the ocean and dropped into the water with a bone-cracking thud. The baby started to cry. She held the child and watched as the Titanic's bow sank further into the water until the ship snapped in two and with a thundering roar, of underwater explosions plunged oh, into yeah, the sea. Oh, yeah, that shit snapped in half. Yes. Stranded in the freezing Atlantic, Violet feared suddenly that the stranger's child might die in her arms. She wrapped the baby in a blanket that she had grabbed before evacuating the ship, and the baby fell asleep. Hours later, after the rec- rescue by Carpathia, she was standing on the freezing deck a woman ran up to her and grabbed the baby out of her arms. Are you saying Carpathia? Yeah. Carpathia? It's Carpathia. Like the Carpathian Mountains where where Count Dracula lives. I'm from the Midwest. I don't know how to pronounce anything. But you're better than that. I know I am. Oh, God. I I needed it to be acknowledged. (laughs) I did wonder why, Violet wrote, whoever its mother might be, she had not expressed one word of gratitude for her baby's life. Violet and the rest of the survivors were taken to New York City on April 18th, and she later returned to Southampton. 
Surprisingly, Violet continued to work for the White Star Line after surviving the Titanic sinking. I would have immediately demanded a raise, benefits, vacation time. Mm -hmm. You know, extra money for therapy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) She rejoined the Olympic in June 1912, where she... served until 1914 when she went ashore to train as a voluntary aid detachment nurse during World War I. She was then stationed on the HMHS Britannic. The Britannic was the final vessel of the White Star Line's Olympic class of steamships and the second White Star ship to bear the name Britannic. She was the youngest sister of the Olympic and the Titanic. It was originally intended to enter service as a transatlantic passenger line. The Britannic was launched in 1914, just as World War I began. She was designed to be the safest of the three ships with design changes made during construction due to lessons learned from the Titanic. In 1915, she was requisitioned as a hospital ship. In 1915 and 1916, she served between the United Kingdom and the Dardanelles. The changes to the ship included increasing the ship's beam to 94 feet to allow for a double hull along the engine and boiler rooms, and raising six out of the 15 water-tight bulkheads up to B-deck. Additionally, a larger 18,000 horsepower turbine was added instead of the 16,000 horsepower units installed on the earlier vessels to make up for the increase in hull width. The central watertight compartments were enhanced, allowing the ship to stay afloat with six compartments flooded. You mean that the watertight compartments didn't work on this ship either? I I don't know. We haven't gotten that far yet. Okay. So after completing five successful voyages to the Middle Eastern Front and back to the United Kingdom, transporting the sick and wounded, Britannic departed Southampton for Limnos at 2.23 p.m. on November 12, 1916, her sixth voyage to the Mediterranean Sea. The ship passed Gibraltar. I knew I was going to mess that up around midnight on November 15th and arrived at Naples on the morning of November 17th for her usual cooling and water refueling stop, completing the first stage of her mission. A storm kept the ship at Naples until Sunday afternoon when Captain Barrett decided to take advantage of a brief break in the weather to continue on. The seas rose once again as Britannic left the port. By next morning, the storms died and the ship passed the Strait of Messina without any problems. Cape Matapan was rounded in the first hours of November 21st. By morning, Britannic was steaming full speed ahead in the Kia Channel. There were 1,065 people on board, 673 crew, 315 Royal Army Medical Corps, 77 North nurses, the captain, and of course, Violet. At 8.12 a.m. on November 12, 1916, a loud explosion shook the ship. The cause, whether it was a torpedo from the enemy submarine or a mine, was not apparent. 
It was revealed that mines were planted in the Kia C, sorry, Kia Channel late in October by SMU-73 under control of the Germans. The reaction in the dining room was immediate. Doctors and nurses left instantly for their post, but not everybody reacted the same way. As further aft, the power of the explosion was less felt, and many thought the ship hit a smaller boat. Captain Bartlett and Chief Officer Hume were on the bridge at the time, and the gravity of the situation was obvious. The explosion on the starboard side between holds two and three. The force of the explosion damaged the watertight bulkhead between hold one and the four peak. The first four watertight compartments were filling rapidly with water. The boiler man's tunnel connecting the fireman's quarters in the bow with the boiler room six were severely damaged and water was flowing into that boiler room. Bartlett ordered the watertight doors closed, sent a distress signal and ordered the crew to prepare the lifeboats. An SOS signal was immediately sent out and was received by several other ships in the area, among them HMS Scourge and HMS Heroic. But Britannic heard nothing in reply. Unknown to either Bartlett or the ship's wireless operator, the force of the first explosion had caused the antenna wire slung between the ship's masts to snap. This meant that although the ship could still send out transmissions by radio, she could no longer receive them. Along with the damaged watertight door of the fireman's tunnel, the watertight door between boiler rooms 5 and 6 failed to close properly. Water was flowing further aft into boiler room 5. Britannic had reached her flooding limit. In about 10 minutes, Britannic was roughly in the same condition Titanic had been in one hour after she struck the iceberg. 15 minutes after the ship was struck, the open portholes on E-deck were underwater, which the nurses opened against standing orders. With the shores of the Greek island Kia to the right, Bartlett gave the order to navigate the ship toward the island and attempt to beach the vessel. The hospital staff prepared to evacuate, although Bartlett had given the order to prepare the lifeboats. He did not allow them to be lowered into the water. Of course not. Right. While Bartlett continued to try and beach the ship, the ship listed more and more. The other crew members began to fear that the list would become too large, and they decided to put the first lifeboat onto the water without waiting for the order to do so. Bartlett had decided to stop the ship and her engine. Before he could do so, two lifeboats were pulled onto the water on the port side. The still-turning, partly-surfaced propeller sucked the two lifeboats into it, mincing them along with their passengers. Bartlett was then finally able to stop the propellers before they could suck in any more lifeboats. By 8.50 a.m., most of those on board had escaped in the 35 successfully launched lifeboats. Bartlett determined that the rate of the sinking had slowed, so he stopped the evacuation and ordered the engines back on to continue to try to get the ship to land. With Britannic moving again, the ship started sinking at a faster rate. Realizing there was no longer any hope of reaching the island, Bartlett gave the final order to stop the engines and sounded two final long blasts of the whistle, the signal to abandon ship. 
As Water had already reached the bridge, he and Assistant Commander Dyke walked off onto the deck and entered the water, swimming to a collapsible boat from which they continued to coordinate the rescue operations. So he did not go down with the ship like Edward Smith. What a loser. Right. I shouldn't say that. That's really mean. I shouldn't say that. I, no. I would be terrified and I would probably abandon ship as well. Uh, yeah. They never found Edward Smith's body. I know. I remember that. Oh, that's right. You were obsessed. Yeah, I was obsessed. Duh. Duh. <laughs> As for Violet, she was told to disembark in a lifeboat with some of her shipmates, who were greeted by the scene of passengers and lifeboats getting sucked into the propellers. Ah! <laughs> what? She couldn't risk staying in the boat, so she jumped overboard. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm fixated on the people getting sucked into the propellers. Oh, I don't think you were listening earlier. I I specifically said the still-turning, partly-surface propeller sucked the two lifeboats into it, mincing them along with <laughs> the passengers. <laughs> I was trying to be polite and scroll through my phone so that I didn't interrupt you. Okay, well, you missed mincing of passengers. I'm that's not, not upset. Funny. I'm I'm not upset about that at all. I mean, I'm upset. That I'm okay. I'm upset that it happened to those people. I'm not upset that I missed you describing it. Don't worry. I told you again. It's all good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. So, so she couldn't risk staying in the boat, so she jumped overboard. Well, no. Otherwise, she'd become little chopped up dog food, too. Even though she did not know how to swim. She didn't this is know a badass move. She's, you know what, but she had a will to fucking live. She did. When she resurfaced, she struck her head on the ship's keel. Ow, that's painful. She wrote, my brain shook like a solid body and a bottle of liquid. Years later, after suffering from headaches, it was revealed that she had suffered a fracture on her skull from the incident. She also described the scene in her memoirs, saying, the white pride of the ocean's medical world. <laughs> Sorry, white <Yeah>. pride. <laughs> right. I dipped her head a little, then a little so lower, and still lower. All the deck machinery fell into the sea like a child's toy. Then she took a fearful plunge, her stem rearing hundreds of feet into the air, until, with a final roar, she disappeared into the depths. Compared to the Titanic, the rescue of Britannic was facilitated by three factors. The temperature was higher, 68 degrees Fahrenheit compared to 28 degrees. And hold on, fun fact. Yes. The Titanic Museum actually has like a little area you walk through. And it has a backdrop of a starry night, and it has a little thing you can actually reach down and put your hand in water that was the same temperature it was the night the Titanic sank. Fucking cold. Yeah. Can confirm. No, thank you. It's like a thousand knives stabbing you all at once. Or whatever about Leonardo right. DiCaprio says. <laughs> or Jack Dawson, I should say. Right. More lifeboats were available. 35 were launched and stayed afloat. Titanic only had 20. And help was closer. Uh, arrived less than two hours after the first distress call compared to three and a half hours. 
The first to arrive were fishermen from Kia who picked up many men from the water. At 10 a.m., HMS Scourge sighted the first lifeboats and 10 minutes later stopped and picked up 330 survivors. The HMS Heroic had arrived some minutes earlier and picked up 494. Some 150 had made it to Kia where surviving doctors and nurses from Britannic were trying to save the injured. HMS Foxhound arrived at 11.45 a.m. after sweeping the area, anchored in the small port at 1 p.m. to offer medical assistance and take on board the remaining survivors. Britannic sank within 55 minutes, killing 32 of the 1,066 people on board. That's quicker than Titanic. Titanic was like two hours and what, 22 minutes? Yeah. So... Really quick, but it's compared to an explosion to an iceberg, mm-hmm. so. No, that's fair. Um, after the war, for some reason, Violet continued working for the White Star Line. They must have kept just, they had to have just kept throwing just, like, piles of money at her. Like, <laughs> please don't sue us. <laughs> please stay. And then moved on to working for the Red Star Line and then the Royal Mail Line again. During her time with Red Star, Violet went on two cruises around the world on the company's largest ship, Belgianland. In her late 30s, Violet had a brief marriage, and in 1950, she retired to Great Ashfield, Suffolk. Years after her retirement, Violet claimed to have received a phone call on a stormy night from a woman who asked if she saved a baby on the night the Titanic sank. Violet confirmed that she had. Then the voice said, I was that baby, laughed, and hung up. Wow, that's awesome and creepy all at once. Her friend and biographer, John Maxton Graham, said it was most likely some children in the village playing a joke on her. Which, shame on those. Kids are fucking assholes. I had kids playing, like, bouncing a basketball in the middle of the street at 1130 last night, right outside my son's window. And they're yelling at each other. Moral of the story, kids are assholes, so I can believe some asshole kids did that to Violet Jessup. Shame on them. So Violet replied, no, John, I had never told that story to anyone before I told you now. Oh, okay. Violet spent her last years firmly planted on land, cultivating a beautiful garden. I support that decision a thousand percent. Cultivating a beautiful garden and raising chickens to sell eggs for extra income. So she must not have been given that much money. No, not if she was needing to sell eggs for extra income. Right. Um, She died of congestive heart failure. Oh, God, that sucks. That's a terrible way to go. It is. There are more terrible ways to go, but that is a really heinous way to go. At the age of 84 in 1971. Well, damn, Violet, you lived a long life, lady. Some would call her lucky and some would call her unlucky. I would say a little of both. Right. In her lifetime, she earned the nicknames Queen of Sinking Ships and Miss Unsinkable. And I would also like to give a shout out to Arthur John Priest, who is an English fireman and stoker who was on the Olympic when it crashed into the Hawk 
and also survived the sinkings of the RMS Titanic, HMS Alcantara, HMHS Britannic, and the SS Donegal. Whoa! Due to these incidents, he gained the nickname the Unsinkable Stoker. And that's it. That's seven pages. Well done. That was really fascinating. Um, You've inspired me for next week. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. I think we're going to stick with a theme. Okay. Sounds good. And then, um, yeah, I already have another story. I just have to type up the notes. Like, it's all done, but I have to make them make sense. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. So, there we go. Two weeks in a row, we're getting episodes out. I'm so proud. Look at us. Yeah. Let's put that Paul Rudd. Yeah. Look at us. Look at us. Look at us. Hopefully, we can make that three weeks and then four. And just. Just keep knocking them out. Keep keep rolling. Yeah. So, it's the anniversary of the tragic sinking. It is sad. And then, also, happy birthday to my husband tomorrow. Well, happy birthday. Two days ago, I guess, when this comes out. And then, uh, oh God. Okay, as long as she doesn't start singing. (laughs) All right, so anything else? Never let go. Never let go. Never let go. Yeah, that door frame, what door frame? The door frame could have held two people. I don't give a crap what James Cameron says because they just did a whole like Titanic 25th anniversary special or whatever. And one of the things that came out, like people who watched it, like he like spent a chunk of time proving that it was not realistic for two people to fit on that door. I still say, I don't care what James Cameron says. Jack could have fit on the motherfucking door. Um. That die on that hill. I also kind of want to break it to you that there was no Jack Dawson or Rose. Actually, no, no, no. Hold on. No. <laughs> I'm going to send you the thing right now. No, oh, okay. there was not a Rose Dewitt Bucator. But his inspiration, <laughs> his inspiration for that was this. I'm going to send it. I'm sending Callie the text now. It is a screenshot. It is and to describe it to everybody who can't see it. It's a tombstone. It says Jay Dawson died April 15th, 1912. And he was 200, number 227, I guess, of the bodies recovered. And that is where James Cameron got his inspiration for the name Jack Dawson. So much so that people believe that this guy's name was Jack Dawson, that people were going and putting flowers on this person's grave after the movie. That's fair. But yes, Rose never existed. No. Jack may have. Was he as dreamy as a 21-year-old Leonardo DiCaprio? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Actually, no. I'd like to say he was dreamier. Dreamier. Wow. With that said, Callie's got to go tend to a screaming baby. Yes, yeah, sorry about that. So sorry. <laughs> Um, but we thank you as always for joining us. Check us out on the socials, uh, subscribe to Patreon if you so choose to. And this has been horrendous. Bye besties.